All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, we're going to continue in the flood, and I did choose to break it up into three parts. So we, um, we talked about the, I guess, the, the uh, reasons for the flood and God's plan to kind of get um, Noah and his family ready for the flood. Um, and just let me say this, I don't know why, I think there's a, a joke that I used to tell and it's the reason that it gets me in trouble. I'm preaching about Noah and the flood. If I say Moses, translate that to Noah, because I'm probably not going to talk about Moses today, but I probably will say his name three or four half the time. And I'm talking about Noah, but somehow there's this joke that you ask kids, well how did Moses get all those animals on the ark? And the trick is, it was Noah, and, and somehow that has gotten me so thoroughly confused that I translate them both as the same sometimes. So anyway, if that happens, just know that that's, um, um, that's just because I am not <laughs> that good. Um, but anyway, why don't we just get started? Um, we're going to continue to be setting the record straight. And so um, there's a lot of things that, if you, if you kind of follow science... Um, there have been theories that, and they constantly change because they are theories, but there have been theories all along about the world. Um, there's been theories about how old the world is. Um, so we're going to look at a couple of things. One, this is when the rain actually comes. This is when the flood actually happens. And so we're going to look at the flood and, and what a global flood would do to the world. So we're going to be talking about that. But also, this is probably the most fitting time that I can think of for us to discuss dinosaurs. And so we will talk a little bit about dinosaurs, um, how they might have lived on the earth, what things, how, how they would have been, um, were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. We'll talk about that for a minute. And then if so, then, then you know, how long ago was the flood? We're going to talk about some of those things and try to get us to a point where we can, as Christians, we, we can have a, a view. Dinosaurs are real. You can find fossils. Even today, um, if you were to dig around, even in these hills out here, you'd probably find a dinosaur fossil if you dug far enough. But is it really 65 million years old? So we're going to be looking at some of those things and, and discussing that a little bit as we go through this passage. So as we continue our study in the kind of the foundational chapters of Genesis, uh, again, it's the second week of Noah, and in this passage, the ark is completed. So God has, has directed Noah on how to build this ark. Noah has built this ark, and it went on for, you know, a hundred years or so during this time. Um, and Noah and his family and the animals, they enter the ark, and, and, the, and the floods come. So that's kind of the, the summary of Genesis chapter 7. But I want us to take just a minute and appreciate what a global flood would look like in the world, what would be going on during this time. Um, this is one of the more popular children's stories. So we teach this to children all the time, and you know, probably for the, for the good so that children don't have these terrible nightmares, we don't talk about what it would have really been like when the flood water started coming. It wasn't just rain. You know, we talk about the fact, well, there wasn't rain before this. God watered the land with the dew of the, you know, just dew, and so that's how things grew. There wasn't rain, and so it rained, and all of a sudden it flooded. There's a little more to that. First of all, I think we need to consider God's grim purpose with the flood. Why did he send the flood in the first place? Well, it was to destroy human life because of their sinfulness. And so this wouldn't have been a rain that just wouldn't quit. This would have been something entirely different when we think about it. Um, God was going to blot out man, uh, land animals and flying creatures. He's going to destroy the surface of the earth. And so how does that look? 
Well, it wouldn't have been gently rising waters that humans could have just, you know, rode out. If it started raining and it didn't quit raining, but that was all that it was, the flood waters would have risen so slowly that people could have continued to move uphill. At a certain point, they'd have said, hey, we're going to have to figure out something. They would have probably seen some logs floating by and said, oh, that looks like a good idea. Let me build something, you know, that maybe I can survive on. That wasn't the way that this happened. This was flash flooding. This was instantaneous um, devastation of the earth, and that's something that we have to recognize. The Bible describes this as a violent event that was unprecedented at that point, and certainly unprecedented in history after that. This is something that happened once. Now, uh, we haven't read it yet, but in verse 11, it actually points to two different sources of water, the fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven. If you believe the windows of heaven are rain, which is a likely way to understand it, although God could have just caused water to pour in a way that is not natural, naturally occurring today, um, that would be one thing. But certainly the fountains of the deep, that is something entirely different. When we go back and we think about the way that God created the earth and he talked about the waters that cover the surface of the earth and then God calls the land to gather in one place, there, there's more to do with this water than what we might, might immediately think about. Um, and so these foundations of the, or the fountains of the great deep, um, this would have been something pretty significant. Rain probably was not the primary source of the water. In fact, um, the Hebrew word that translates the fountain of the great deep, um, they strongly imply that there was earthquake activity and maybe volcanic activity under the ocean's floor. So some scholars believe that maybe God used the upheaval of the land under the ocean to actually raise the floor of the ocean. In other words, lower the depth of the ocean to create part of that flooding. Now, you might say, well, that, that isn't naturally occurring, neither is a global flood. And so if something like that happened, then all of a sudden you've got less depth in the oceans. That's forcing the water in other places. So you would have talked, you were, you were talking about, so as far away as we are from the Gulf of Mexico, if the, the ocean floor suddenly started rising up, you could have very significant flooding here in, in minutes. It would have been much more quick than, than maybe what we would imagine just from rain. So the, any kind of shift in the ocean floor, like earthquakes, volcanoes on the ocean floor, create things like tsunamis, right? They, they create these massive tidal waves that, that, that drastically change everything that they hit very, very quickly. And so you're talking about water that would have been released from the ocean's floor, maybe changes in the ocean floor. All of this would have came with incredible velocity. And the other thing, one thing that I never thought about when I was reading Noah's Ark stories and, and Bible storybooks was that this water could have possibly, possibly been superheated because of its release from the Earth's crust and because of its influ being influenced by earthquakes and, and volcanoes and things like this. So it could have been very nearly or even more than boiling temperatures as it comes rushing across the landscape so we're not talking about okay now I'm underwater all of a sudden I've got to try to swim to the top and maintain you could have been flash boiled and so that would have been a whole different sort of idea not something that anyone or anything really could have survived so people ask questions about what well none of the fish would have died or this that or the other all kinds of things would have died if the water was boiling when it hit you and so that could have been a terrifying thing so imagine that scene for just a moment 
how terrifying that would be. Would it have been boiling everywhere? Probably not. But in certain places where it's coming up from the depths and it's coming up from volcanic type explosions, it could have been terrifyingly hot and certainly something um, that would have, would have fit with our other visions and other descriptions of God's judgment of the world and other passages of Scripture. So definitely something terrifying. So the receding waters... Um, if you've ever just stood um, on the beach and the wave comes up and it goes back and you just see all the different you know, motion of the sand and all those things, when water recedes, it brings sediment, it brings things with it. And so just imagine the destruction of the receding waters. Um, that would not have been peaceful either. You know, as a, as a mountain, um, as mountains rose and valleys sank and things along those lines, things would have been changed forever. Things would have been shifted forever from how they would have been before. Um, and so that, the result of that would have been incredible amounts of erosion and sedimentation. It would have been packed in real tight. It would have looked like a layer of destruction in the geological layers as you, as you look down through them, which is exactly what it is. There are places like the Grand Canyon where you can go and you can stand, and, and if you have a tour guide, they'll talk about the different layers, and they'll talk about how you know, geology is done by looking at layers and things like that. But you'll see a destruction layer there. And, and, and uh, Christian scientists definitely suggest that that would have been, that would, that would have been the, the flood and not something else, maybe some other geologic event that people might would point to during that time. So from this description, it seems perfectly reasonable that nothing outside of the ark would have survived. You might ask, well, how can the ark survive if it was sitting, you know, in boiling water, really hot water, dangerous, terrible, terrible situations, tsunamis, waves, and things like that? Again, God can do things supernaturally to protect those that he's trying to protect. He would not have had Noah build an ark for, you know, a hundred years, bring all the animals into the ark, and then not go ahead and protect it during the flood that it was originally built for. And so that's definitely something we could think about there. Um, so as, as we think about um, as we think about this, so people say, well, about the sea creatures and things like that, the tsunamis, the upheaval of the water would have washed them way, way, way beyond where the ocean ever would have typically been. And, and it would have then left them in places. You would find sea creatures in places where the ocean has never been. Now, is that true? Is that something? that we can see? Can we find places where there should never have been an ocean creature? Can we find ocean-type life, dead bones and, and fossils and things like that in place? Yes, absolutely we can. We can certainly find those things in places where they never would have been. Can we find dirt and sediment and things in places where it shouldn't be, where it just doesn't make sense for it to be? Absolutely we can. Things got shuffled around in the flood. Now, as we look at this, um, this was no tame event. It was a catastrophe, um, and it would have changed the earth in a lot of ways, and it would have been difficult to understand what was happening. So let, let me kind of connect it like this. So when archaeologists, geologists, people begin to study the earth, they look for signs. They look for things that tell them what happened because there weren't people around writing books and saying, you know, this is Adam reporting from, you know, uh, ground zero and, and just writing out what, what happened. And then the archaeologist can say, oh, okay, I see what happened because he wrote it down and told us what happened. That's not how this actually works. So they have to look at the evidence that's left there. So I forget how old I was, probably 11, 12, old enough to know better, um, but still not really old enough to be smart enough to realize how this wasn't going to work. Um, we had a back port swing, and it would swing back and forth. Well, it wasn't a playground swing. It was, you know, sit and enjoy the afternoon swing. 
Well, at that age, things just seem to be a little bit more high energy when you're a kid, and so I was swinging back and forth pretty good. And there was a banister around, and on that banister was a flower. I don't remember what kind. They all kind of looked familiar to me. And so anyway, I was swinging, and the, the swing hit the banister, knocked the flower over. I knew this flower was newish, and I knew that it mattered to my mom. And so it, you know, obviously knocked over the banister onto the floor, onto the ground, and, you know, there spilled out. Okay, so y'all know, and now I know, pot and soil and regular dirt look very different, especially to someone that just planted a flower or something like that. But so I got a, a it was either a rake or a shovel, something that left a very distinctive tool mark on the, on the dirt and, and got everything to where I thought it was back in and put it back on the banister. Well, obviously, it doesn't take my mom long to look and say this flower has been tipped over. We had a dog. His name was Pee Wee. He was roughly small. And so when they started asking me what happened to the flower, I said, well, maybe Pee Wee got the swing to go in and knocked the flower over. I don't know what happened. Well, so then my dad takes me around to the side of the porch and he shows me the tool marks in the ground. You reckon Pee Wee got the shovel and, and, and scooped up the dirt into the pot and put it back on the banister too? So at that point, it was obvious that I had left enough evidence, even though I wasn't about to tell them what happened, I'd left enough evidence to where they could piece together the story. That's what archaeologists and geologists and people that are looking at things where there's no history, there's no written word, that's what they have to do. But the flood doesn't play fair. And so that's why things are a little difficult and a little bit hard for them to understand. If, if, if you are not assuming, if you are not going off the knowledge that there was a global flood, and you start trying to make sense of things that you see, there are going to be some confusing things. There is a layer in the ground um, that basically they expect for dinosaurs to be below that layer, but they don't, and they expect for dinosaurs to be at that layer because that's the layer they believe is where the asteroid hit and, and killed all dinosaurs, but they don't expect them to be above that layer. Well, here's the problem. They have found dinosaurs above that layer, they have found dinosaurs way below that layer, and they have found some at that layer. So it's kind of confusing for them how all of this would have happened. Um, but the Bible actually can help us understand certain things like that. I'm getting ahead of myself with dinosaurs. I'm not doing them just yet. Um, but what I want you to understand is that with the flood, this was but a taste of God's full judgment for sin. He destroyed the entire earth, killed all animal creatures, killed all humans except for Noah and his family, and the animals that were on the ark. This is but a taste of God's judgment for sin. And so that's something that we have to understand when we, when we actually get into this a little bit. Um, if God had not told... Noah to build this ark, there'd be no more human life. We wouldn't know about it, but there would be no more human life. And so God's judgment flowing over the whole world, this is what he thinks of sin. But this isn't the full thought. There's going to be a more thorough destruction because whatever you think water can do, fire can do it worse or better or more destructively. That's what's coming. So we have to understand that, that God is going to destroy the earth again, but not with water. And so when we look at this picture, when we look at what happened with the flood, this is God's judgment. And so here's the sermon in a sentence. God's judgment of sin will cover the earth just as surely as the flood waters did. But just as in the days of Noah, the Lord has provided one plan of salvation. To kind of spoil the story just a little bit more, there wasn't guys all over the world building arcs and getting animals and, and, and floating around on their little miniature cities. There was one. 
There was one way, one way to be saved, and that was to listen to Noah in those days. And so, obviously, hopefully you can already see where we're actually going to go as we look into this story. So I want to read you, uh, this is just Genesis chapter 7, 1 through 24. Um, And it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark and you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male uh, and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, uh, and seven pairs of the birds of the heaven, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. I'm just going to pause here and try to explain this animal thing, because in chapter 6 it does say, you know, one male, one female of everything. That's, that's what it says, uh, and that's what God told for Noah. But now as we're, it's time to actually load up the ark, he's being told seven pairs of clean animals, seven kinds of, or seven pairs of all the kinds of birds, and then only one pair of the, um, of, of the unclean animals. So why is this? Why is this? Does this mean that, that, that Genesis chapter 6 was written by one person and Genesis chapter 7 written by another? No, that's not what this means at all. It means that as we get closer to time, God gets more specific with the instructions so that Noah understands exactly what to do. Um, as we get into chapter 8, we'll see that the clean animals, some of them were sacrificed um, as a sacrifice and an offering to God. As far as the birds go, one thing that, that, um, that we see with birds, and this is, this is true of birds now as much as it was then they helped to replant the earth that's one of their functions is as they go along and they eat their seeds and what they eat as they fly somewhere else and you know make little special deliveries everywhere well that is reseeding the earth and so that's part of what it was in God's plan from the very beginning to kind of reseed and re-prepare the earth for man to live there so just pointing that out that that's why it sounds kind of interesting that there are you know one pair of this and seven pairs of that and so forth and so on verse four for in seven days I will send rain uh, on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went or with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. And they and every beast according to its kind, and all of the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping uh, thing that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature." They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all uh, flesh, went in uh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The water increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily 
on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits uh, deep. 20-something feet above the tallest mountain is how deep the water was. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarmed on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So once the ark was completed, God commanded Noah to go into the ark with his family and the animals. Now, I think it's very interesting to think about this. So uh, somewhere in the Middle East is where Noah was. We can't pinpoint it exactly, but somewhere in the Middle East. Do you know how many species of animals are not indigenous to the Middle East? And so when God gave the command, seven days, you're going to get in the boat and you're going to go because it's going to rain. Think about how much earlier God would have had to have given the commands to the, to the animals to begin to march. Think about that miracle for just a minute, that they were there on time. Nobody was you know, waiting, even for the, the turtles and the snails that wouldn't have been indigenous at all to the Middle East, yet God had them uh, on their way in time to make it for the closing of the door. So we need to consider the way uh, the world was when God shut Noah and all of his passengers of the ark um, in the ark because Jesus gave us a warning related to that time, to that time period. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 through 39, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Um, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, there's some things I want to point out. One, in chapter 6, it talks about the evil intentions of man. And we kind of went through that where it's evil always, continually, without stop. They were always evil. But look at what Jesus says here. He mentions a couple of things. He says they were eating and they were drinking. How many of you plan to have something to eat and something to drink today? I do too. I would like to have something shortly after this sermon. But the reality is we all do that. They marry and they give to marriage. Looking out across the room here, a lot of y'all are married or have been given to marriage, whatever that means. But we have been married until the day that Noah entered the ark. So when we think about that, what does that mean? Well, that means that they were living life. Yes, they were evil. Yes, they were sinful. Yes, there was a lot of uh, you know, sinful attitudes and ways going on in that time. But they were also just living life. It is difficult for us to understand the arrogance of mankind that lives on this world that God created but ignore the God that made it. We don't understand just how arrogant we are when we live our lives without acknowledging our Creator. God is in control. Whether we want to admit it, whether we recognize it or not, that is a sinful arrogance. And it is enough to evoke the wrath of the Holy God when we ignore Him. He has made us. He has created us specifically to serve Him, to live in a relationship with Him, and we ignore Him. That is a horrible sin. 
And that is part of the sin that caused God to bring the flood upon the earth. That's what Jesus says. They're, they're marrying, they're giving the marriage, they're eating, they're drinking, they're going about their lives, but they're not acknowledging God. And that's what we have to recognize as we look at the world today. Everybody wants to know, are we living in the last days? We talked about that a little bit during Sunday school. Are we living in the last days? Is this the end of it all? Well, who knows? But what we know is that it will be a time in which people are ignoring the existence of God. You know, you could get into all kinds of news and politics and stuff, but I think it's simple to say that most people are ignoring God. I think that's simple, and, and I think that's been true for hundreds and hundreds of years. Even in a time when the Catholic Church ruled the earth, I would say that people were ignoring God. They were focused on man. And when we look at this world, that's kind of always been our pattern. As, as soon as God stops physically standing on the earth or verbally talking to us, we forget him. We forget who he is, we forget his power, we forget what he's done, and we forget what he said he's going to do. And so when we look at the flood days, is it any different now? Well, in some ways, absolutely. But at the same time, are people ignoring God the way they were during those days? Absolutely we are. Now, this analogy that Jesus gives us, it's, it's really, really instructive. Um, just as most people today do not believe that Jesus is coming back at all, I would imagine that most people didn't believe that there was going to be a flood. But they were informed that there was going to be a flood. It's our responsibility to make sure people know that Jesus is coming back. Well, it was Noah's responsibility for people to know that there was going to be a flood. You might ask, well, was there room if Noah had really told a whole bunch of people, hey, the world's going to be destroyed and the only way to be safe is to get on this ark. Was there room? God would have made or did make or provided enough room for anybody that was going to listen. He just simply knew that no one was going to listen. So how did they know? Well, one thing Noah would have told them, never ever underestimate the nosiness of people. Noah is building a structure larger than any structure anybody had ever seen. Remember, this is before the Tower of Babel. Noah's building something that nobody even has imagined before. And he's working at it for a hundred years. You all know that if you ride one road every day or pretty often, you're all looking to see what your neighbors are doing. You're looking to see what's going on in their yard. I have rode by things and seen people do things and thought, that's cool. And I've rode by things and saw people do things and thought, that's really not cool. Um, I, I, I've seen people put together five and six mobile homes and make a, like a mansion out of mobile homes. And I've actually drove past that enough to see that project happening. That's kind of on the road to my parents' house. And I'm thinking, hmm, I don't think I'd do it like that. But I'm watching and I'm nosy and I'm curious and I'd love to know how that idea got planted in their head in the first place. When you take one mobile home and you set it on top of another mobile home to make a two-story how do you get there? How do, how do you get to that? But I'm watching and I'm curious. So don't you think that the people that were watching Noah build that ark went up to him and asked him, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And of course, Noah would have told them the truth. He was a righteous man. He's not going to lie. So when he tells them the truth about what he's doing, why he's doing it, he becomes the crazy old man, doesn't he? I mean, at that time, he's only 600 years old, so maybe he's not old like a lot of the other folks are, but, but he's, you know, he's up there enough to be a little eccentric. And so Moses, Noah, I'm preaching about Noah, Noah would have been the kind of guy that everybody knew, they knew what he was doing, but they just didn't take it serious. They didn't really take it serious. He was that old man that did something weird. That's just who he was. And so as they looked at it, even though in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that Noah, Noah's described by Peter, he's described as a preacher of righteousness. So did he actually preach? 
Well, there, there's a lot of Hebrew tradition that he did, but there's nothing written in Genesis or any other part of the Bible that says that he you know, preached a sermon. But what we do know is that his life, his witness, his testimony was that God's going to do something and you better be ready. And so that was his ministry. That is what he did. And so when we think about it just a little bit further, you know, in the New Testament it tells us, even in the Old Testament it tells us, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The same plan of salvation was in place for Noah. He had to believe God and build a boat and then it saved him. It was his salvation. And so we have to recognize that. His faith, and obedience was a warning that the world simply did not heed. And that's something that we have to be aware of. Uh, but he's also example, an example for us for how we got to live out our lives. Are you living your life as if you believe what God said about the end of the world? Are you living your life as if you believe what God said about living without sin? Are you living your life as if you believe what God said about Jesus? If you are, then you are being a witness even if you're not saying anything to people. All right, so I kind of already addressed the one pair, seven pair thing a little bit later um, and, and the birds and what they did. But now it is time to talk about the elephant in the room. And in this case, the elephant is not an elephant, but a dinosaur. And so let's talk about dinosaurs just a little bit. Um, there were most certainly dinosaurs on the earth. Bones upon bones upon bones have been found of them. Um, there, there's something like uh, 668 different kinds of dinosaurs that people have identified. But understand that just a little, little bit of a bone identified sometimes becomes another type of dinosaur that people classify. And so let's just keep that in mind. So when were dinosaurs made? When did they live on the earth? Well, according to the Bible, God created all the things, the land animals on the sixth day of creation. And so that's where the dinosaurs would fit, that he made them then. And now I know what you're saying, but wait a minute, the dinosaurs are 65 million years old. That's a little difficult if you, if you really read the Bible and you say, hey, I'm just going to take the Bible at what it says. You don't see that the earth is 65 million years old. So what were they standing on? the evidence may be a little different. We may be looking at things the wrong way. And, it, and it's like anything else. If I had a marker board up here and I drew one point on that board and I ask each of you to come up and draw a line, we'd all make a different line, wouldn't we? But if I draw two points on the board and ask you to make a line, we'd all draw the same line, right? From one point to the next point. Well, if you have the point, I found this bone and it's a dinosaur. That's one point, right? But if you don't have another point, well, you, how far, how deep did you find it? Okay, I found it this deep. Okay, that works out to be about 65 million years old. That's kind of how they do it. It kind of comes whatever layer in, in the geographic, you know, layer system that they find it in, that's how old it is, right? But, but what if that's not actually true? What if the world was upheaved at one time? What if everything got all mixed up and shaken around? Then, then that might change things a little bit, okay? But they're petrified. We can find wood that's petrified that isn't 65 million years old. And so can bones do the same thing? Absolutely they can. So if they, if they lived that long ago, if they lived when mankind was on the earth. Now we know that originally they would have been created as herbivores because the Bible says that everything ate plants. And so even the, the Tyrannosaurus rex, would have at least at one time, you know, really enjoyed a salad, but not so much in the later years. In fact, after the fall, he would have probably been a scavenger. That's some of the latest things that scientists are saying. You know, the T-Rex arms, the fact that they can't reach, that's going to make it difficult for them to kill unless they can like kill it with their face. And so most people are now suggesting that, that they might have actually been scavengers and that, that other beasts would have been the, the big time killers and things like that. But that's not even in my notes. So that's just, you don't have to worry about that. But anyway, um, do we find any evidence of dinosaurs in the Bible? 
When we look at the book of Job in, in verse, or chapter 41, God mentions two things. He mentions the behemoth and he mentions the leviathan. Both of these things he describes as these big powerful beasts, things that would have been beyond what humans could control or really do anything about. And God demonstrates his authority over those things. And that's when Job had asked some questions. And, Job, and God says, well, who are you to ask those questions? Let me ask some questions. And then God goes on this list of questions. And, and the Leviathan and the behemoth are part of those, those questions. Now, um, when we look at these things, the behemoth would have been some kind of land reptile. And it probably would be where most of the myths about dragons come from. And maybe this was something that survived on into antiquity at least a little bit. The Leviathan would have been a sea reptile. It would have been something that was water-based. Um, but God says that it, it, you, a child couldn't play with it and traders couldn't sell it. And so that kinda, that's going to foreshadow how maybe dinosaurs left this world completely. Um, these creatures, the, the, the Leviathan and the Behemoth, what you know, Job is talking about or what God's talking about to Job, seem to be holdovers from the dinosaur world. So... It's easy to understand how most of the dinosaurs could have died in the flood. It was supposed to be, you know, just two, right? A male and a female of their kind. Um, reptiles were not considered clean, and so they wouldn't have been used for sacrifices. So he wouldn't have had seven velociraptors running around the, the ark there. It would have just been two, and maybe, hopefully, they had them in a stall or something along those lines. Um, but what we understand is that they would have been on the ark. They would have been represented on the ark. And so if that's true... And, and, and God put them on the ark, had them be on the ark. Where are they now and why didn't they survive? Well, first and also, how could the ark possibly have been big enough to hold dinosaurs? Well, most likely, and this is probably true for more of the animals than less of the animals, they would have gotten them in their juvenile forms. Not full-grown elephants walking up on the ark, but juvenile elephants or juvenile small um, dinosaurs when they were young before they grew up. You know, dinosaurs hatched in eggs about the size of a football is what most people are saying. So you're, there was a time when they were small. Yes, they ate a lot, they grew fast, but they wouldn't have necessarily had to have been full-size, mature adult, you know, brachiosauruses when they walked on the ark, so to speak. Now, the other thing... I mentioned 668 different kinds of, uh, or species of, of, of dinosaurs that they have identified up to this point. But so far, those fit into 55, um, it's kind of a scientific word, but also a little bit of a biblical word, kinds. And so you might take, for example, bats. There's like 18 different like families of bats, but they fall into two different kinds the way that it works out. And so it may not necessarily have had to be 600 and something different dinosaurs in order for the dinosaurs to come over on the ark. Okay, so let me just share a couple of things with you uh, about dinosaurs. Um, if you want to believe the Bible, the way that we date things and the way that we kind of trace things back um, the world is between six and 10,000 years old. So if that's the case, um, then the flood would have fell somewhere 4,000 to 6,000 years ago. Okay, so if you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, so if, if, if I'm going to take it as literally as possible, in other words, tracing the genealogies, doing the ages and doing the math back in that direction, there's maybe is room for some gaps, but we're still looking at an earth that is not millions of years old based on just what we see here. And so if that is the case, then the question becomes, what are we actually, how are we looking at, an, at these dinosaurs and saying they're 65 million years old? Well, let me share with you a little something. Um, a doctor named Mary 
Schweizer uh, and her team, I believe they were from Northwestern, um, but they, they caught the world's attention with an article that they put in the Science Journal, the name of the journal is Science, uh, in 2005. They described intact blood vessels, red blood cells um, in a T-Rex bone. In other words, they were still intact, like not meat, but blood, and, and, and not that it was fluid, but there was evidence that this had not this had not fossilized, that this was more new. And that would have set the date way, way further in the future than any 65 million years ago. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, is that secular scientists that ne didn't necessarily want to promote a young earth or dinosaurs alive in the last 5,000 years have been reporting findings of this kind of biologic material still existing in dinosaur fossils and in dinosaur bones. Um, so there was... Um, Scientists from Montana State University found T-Rex bones that were not totally fossilized. Sections of the bone they said were like fresh bones and contained what seemed to be blood cells and hemoglobin. So any of this would have went away over millions of years, but if it's only thousands of years, maybe not so much. And if the world was being upheaved, and so everything was, was, was subject to change during the global flood and many dinosaurs would have gotten buried and things like that. There's also other evidence I didn't include in this, but it's, it's worth researching because there's evidence that dinosaurs did try to get to high ground. But as the water rose, you can actually see their footprints recorded and their footprints getting lighter and lighter and even scratches. And then there's some fossils almost right there. And so there's some evidence that they were trying to get to high ground, but they couldn't make it because the water was rising too fast or they were dinosaurs and they weren't billy goats. But whatever the case is, they couldn't get out of the way of the water and so they didn't survive. Now, when we see that, it's at least enough to ask the question, can we believe the Bible? I would say absolutely you can believe the Bible. And if you take evidence, like I said with my two dots on a marker board, if you have what, what you find, which the, the bones are the bones, they're not talking, and then you have the Bible, which is talking, you draw that line, you can understand that point of reference helps us to see how these dinosaurs might have lived and how many of them would have died. But then if dinosaurs did, in fact, ride with Noah on the ark, and if they did, in fact, get off the ark, and were told to go be fruitful and multiply, what happened? Well, like many other kinds of animals, and keep in mind, many, many kinds of animals and plants have been extinct or have become extinct since the flood, like many other kinds, um, they would have faced climate change, not the political kind, the real kind. Um, they, they would have found diseases as the world continued to change and evolve and sin continued to destroy the world. Um, decreases in food supply and simply humans. Um, it's big, let me shoot it, let me kill it, let me, let me try to take it down. And obviously a lot of the smaller ones they would have tried, just like we almost hunted elephants out of, out of existence just for the ivory in their tusks or many other animals, um, whales and things like that, for some valuable part on them, humans would have always done this. So as we continue to live in this world, we discover new things. We just do. There's, there's new evidence all the time. And, and what I'm suggesting is simply use the Bible as that foundational point, that point that tells you how to draw the line. That's not what science is currently doing, but it's something that would actually benefit all of us. When we allow the Bible to be our guide, we can truly understand this world that God has created for us. It's much bigger, it's much more amazing than what we would even, our imagination would allow us to, to accept. But when we use the Bible as our guide, we can understand it better. All right, getting back on track. That was kind of the dinosaur thing. 
When Noah was 600 years old, the 17th day of the month, I'm surprised they didn't say 2 o'clock in the afternoon as specific as it was, he finished the ark and it was time to go. God gave some additional details for the flood. He told him the timing, it would come in seven days. Um, it's nature, it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and he told about the land creatures and all those things. And so just imagine the stream of animals. And just imagine you're not near where Noah is, but all of a sudden you just see a couple of ostriches just run by, and right behind them is whatever lives near ostriches, and they just keep on going. Like, can you imagine what that would have looked like uh, as these animals traveled from all over the world and, and, and went to where Noah was building this ark? It would have been just a phenomenal miracle. Um, and we shouldn't underestimate the power of God to, to create this whole situation, to, to direct all of these things, and then to make it happen at exactly the time um, that he had planned for it to happen. So, on the appointed day, and this is, now we're talking about the flood. Now on the appointed day, the water came from two sources. Uh, we know about the rains or the windows from heaven and those um, underground streams. We've kind of already talked about that a little bit. Um, and, and so, yes, maybe the, the floor of the ocean rose because some scientists that are trying to, trying to play devil's advocate will say there's not enough water on the earth to flood the whole earth. But if the ocean floor rises or, or things shift, and also we don't necessarily have to believe that mountains were as tall then as they are now because sediment changed things along those lines. So anyway, the whole world is covered by water, 15 cubits. Um, at least on the, on the highest mountains, it's, it's covered for, for 15 cubits. And that water remained for about 110 days before it began to recede. I've got a little chart that kind of shows the different stages when they, when they kind of came out of it. Um, but, you know, getting into chapter 8, it's like 317 days from the time they went into the ark to the time they actually came out and made a sacrifice. Just so you know that it was almost a year that they were actually in the ark. Um, and so we've already talked about the flood and what it can do, but I just want to give you like a real world, pretty recent evidence of what a lot of water in a little bit of time can do. So maybe you know this, it happened in 2002, but there is a canyon uh, called Canyon Lake Gorge in Texas that was not a canyon before 2002. Um, a little over a mile long and the average depth of 23 feet, the gorge um, is far smaller than the Grand Canyon, which they say would have taken millions of years to, to make, um, but it formed in three days from flooding. In three days, there wasn't a canyon, and then there was a canyon. And so that serves to show us a little bit about what a lot of water can do in a little bit of time. And if a, one flood, a local flood, can do that in three days, what could a global flood do in 40 days? It is worth considering that. That, that flood, um, the flood on the earth was transformative, but its true purpose was not to change where mountains were or to, you know, m move land its true purpose was to punish sin. And so that's what we have to remember is that that was God's ultimate purpose was to punish sin with the flood. So in scope, God's judgment was global. Uh, and in severity, God's judgment was almost total. Only a small group survived. We must be continually aware that God will judge sin. You look at this world and you say, well, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and God's not doing anything about it. Better go ahead and put the word yet on that because he will. He will do something about it. It is his patience right now. It is his mercy and waiting that is keeping him from doing that. So let's look at the picture of the flood. What does the flood tell us? So when the ark door was shut, there was room for many more people, right? Um, all they had to do was repent and turn to God in the same way, um, or in the same way today. Salvation is available to whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 10. Notice that the eight occupants of the ark entered by a door. 
And there was only one door, which was not closed by Noah, but it was closed by God. God closed him in. Many years later, Jesus is going to say, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is a willing Savior. So when we think about Noah, Noah didn't choose his calling in life. It, it was thrust upon him, but it was on him because he was a righteous man. But Jesus chose to be the Savior of the world. When we look at the flood, it's easy for us to see that God is angry about sin. God feels like sin must be punished. And so he does that. But at the same time, God also provides a way of salvation. Could more people have gotten on the ark? I believe absolutely they could have if they'd have listened. But they didn't. And so when we look at the ark and we see Noah as the one with his family that survived, Jesus is that one. And he is providing a way for us to be saved. So just as Noah was saved by grace through faith from the destruction that came from the flood, we can be saved by grace through faith uh, in Jesus Christ if we repent and turn to Him. That's, that's what I believe the heartbeat of the flood is. is it, it, it was God's judgment of sin and His deliverance of mankind through Noah, but it was also pointing to Jesus that there was one way. Like I said, there wasn't guys all over the world building arcs, and if you listened to any of them, you got in. There was one. There was one. And you had to listen. You had to listen and believe that He was a messenger of God. And the reality is, while there may be many preachers, there may be many people declaring Jesus, there is but one Jesus, one Christ. And we must all bow before Him. There is no other way. And so I encourage you this morning, if you know that, and if you believe that, and you have lived that already, then I encourage you to try to be the same kind of witness that Noah was. Noah may not have been a big-time preacher he may not have went places to preach. He may have continued to build the art like I kind of expect that he did. But his life was a witness. Make sure your life is a witness. Make sure that when people watch you, they can understand God's plan. They can see the difference and they can recognize that they need to find out what you have. But never be afraid to talk to people about Jesus. Never be afraid to talk to people about the age of the earth or dinosaurs. God is in control of all of those things. But bring the conversation to Jesus. We can trust that they will listen if your life matches what your words are. Noah said the world was coming to an end and he was building a boat. What is your boat? What is, what is your witness? That's going to be between you and God. Your calling is between you and God. But make that witness something that people will hear. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to gather together. And as we look at your word and we look at what's happened um, since the flood, we realize that all of that sin that you judged, all of that evil that was in the world, all of the arrogance of mankind that ignored who you are, it's back. It's, it's back and it's just as strong as it ever has been. I pray that we can be like those witnesses, like Noah, faithfully obeying your word even though it didn't make sense. Pray that we can be like that, just declaring your word in a world that's probably not going to listen. Noah worked and prepared a boat, and I'm sure there were many rooms on that boat that didn't get used. 
Jesus said that He is going to prepare a place. He said that in your house are many rooms. I pray that we can have a ministry that fills up those rooms, that works towards that end, that works towards that goal. We don't have to share or explain all the mysteries of the world, but we need to explain the mystery of salvation. And I pray that you help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.